Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, disc golf and the funnest things to throw. I think that that's so entertaining and that's what drew me to the sport when I first started. And how much more involved it is than just throwing a disc. You got to shape the disc, go around trees, and there's so many more variables than I started off sleeping in my car, traveling around all the tournaments that the professional tour had. And I wasn't making any money sleeping on sleeping in my car. And so it just turned into a, a, a battle with myself to, to fight off what people are telling me. And as a young kid, that's hard. <laughs> that's a funny one. Um, that's the difference between four or five years ago and now is there's a little bit more benefit, I think, <laughs> now that people more people know about it. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest is now the best disc golfer in the world. But just a few years ago, he was sleeping in his car, eating off the dollar menu. So it's really a fascinating story about not only the ins and outs of what it's like to be a professional disc golfer, but also what can happen if you stay committed to something that you're passionate about. This is professional disc golfer Ricky Wysocki. Real quick, I did something to my audio, but Ricky's is great. His story is fascinating, and I don't usually talk much in interviews anyway, so I hope you enjoy. So from an outsider's perspective, it seems like disc golf is suddenly way more popular. Yes, our sport has grown leaps and bounds throughout the just the past two years. I think the pandemic was actually, we have a professional organization, the PDGA, and they actually grew to, um, like 10 years worth of growth in two years. So uh, like I said, the, the pandemic, people want to be outside, people want to be in the local parks, and why not throw, throw discs around and, and play a local course and, and, and gain a new hobby in the process. Do you think that will last or do you think this is like a blip and we ride this thing as far as we can? So for me personally, I think that the sport and as fun as it is and, and how, how exciting it is to, to throw shots and see how a disc flies, I think that that's so entertaining and that's what drew me to the sport when I first started that I think that once people try the sport out and really see how fun it is and how much more involved it is than just throwing a disc you got to shape the disc, go around trees, and there's so many more variables than, than what meets the eye when you first play it that people will will continue playing even after the uh, hopefully the pandemic is over. And so I think that that the growth is sustainable, and the people that the people that are playing are going to continue to play. And then there's just going to be more and more people that um, find the passion, just like uh, the people that already are playing disc golf. Okay, so like outsider again. To me, it looks like you're throwing a Frisbee, right? Explain to me why that it's so much more complicated than that. Just like any professional sport, you can. there's so many different levels to it. There's someone just starting, like a lot of the people over the pandemic, and then there's people like me that practice, train, work out, and, t- and it's my career. That's what I do. I travel, and I'm a professional disc golfer. And so I think that that's the beauty of it is there's somewhere for everybody to fit into the sport. When did you realize like you were, oh, I'm good? So I grew up in Ohio and I just grew up near a local course. Uh, they had a local park near me. I could, I could almost throw a disc to the course from where I grew up. So that was uh, definitely a bonus. And, uh, and so I just grew up. I went to the course, played and practiced every day. And I just fell in love with, with, uh, with disc golf. I, I just enjoyed watching a disc fly. I enjoyed uh, 
when all the body movements work together and you threw a good shot, uh, it's much like golf. The form in, uh, is so important and how you move your body uh, propels the disc. And so I like the individuality of it. It's you, know, you control your destiny if the shot goes good or goes bad. Uh, it's all up to you. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was what really drew me to it. And, and yeah. Why, why are you good at it? Uh, a lot of different reasons, but I think that um, I'm, I've always been athletic. I've always loved competition. I've always uh, I've been the type of person that finds something and I go all in on something. Whether it's for me, it's been like nutrition, health and wellness, disc golf, um, and so I just I did whatever it took to to grow as a person, as a as an athlete, and um, do whatever it takes to just keep getting better and going uh, going up the pyramid of growing through the ranks of the sport and growing up as an amateur, a junior, an amateur, then a professional. Um, and so for me, it was just, I dove out in the deep end. I went on tour, uh, on the professional tour when I was like 16, 17 years old. And um, of course, I didn't succeed at first. I started off sleeping in my car, traveling around all the tournaments that the professional tour had. And I wasn't making any money, sleeping, on, sleeping in my car, um, eating off the dollar menu at McDonald's just to make it. And, but that allowed me to get exposure, allowed me to um, gain experiences that I would have never been able to experience if I didn't sleep in my car and eat off the dollar menu. And so uh, that's kind of what shaped me in my career. And I think it's just a test of my personality of I'm going to do whatever it takes and, you know, put all my eggs in one basket. Because you always hear people saying, oh, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But sometimes you have to to really get uh, paid off on your, um, your career path or what your vision is. Did you ever think of like, ah, this ain't going to work? Obviously, you know, as a young kid, you know, you don't mind. You know, I think it's easier to grind it out and, and like I said, sleep in your car and do all the things I was doing as a rookie to try and make it. And so there was times that, yeah, that there, there's adversity. There's, there's um, yeah, you're like, I'm not making any money. I'm out here just basically donating my entry fees to the professional field. And, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it costs money to live, costs money to enter the tournaments. And, uh, and so you just kind of reflect and just think, Hey, maybe this isn't for me, but, um, but I fought through that and I just kept practicing and, uh, I kept my mind to, um, uh, doing everything I needed to do to get better and grow. Even if it was just a little bit, you know, from week to week, you grow that little bit, even if you're not making money, you're growing as a player and that's going to slowly pay dividends as, as my career, career, uh, developed. And that's luckily what happened for me. From a physical standpoint, though, it's not like Ricky's got the best design wrists for snapping the frizz, right? Like, there's not something – like a basketball player, right? Like, you got to be pretty tall. There's not something physically about you that like, oh, man, that guy's a – oh, he's a disc pro right there. So, actually, there there kind of is a lot of the – a lot of top players are long and lanky. That's kind of like a, a very um, common trait for p- people that can throw far. So obviously that's one of the many um, ways to measure someone as a player is how far you can throw. Um, and just like any sport, you're always you're always wanting to push the limits. How far can far can you throw? How can I gain more distance? Just like golf, you know, if you, the more distance you have, the easier it is to play courses because you're farther, a lot closer to the hole. So same uh, to disc golf. Same for disc golf. So a lot of the top players, um, obviously not all of them. There's just like basketball. There's some players are five foot seven and are good, and and there's players that are seven foot two that are good, you know. But in general, longer, lanky, um, six four, six five. A lot of players. I'm six four myself. 
A lot of the other top players are 6'4", 6'5". That long, you know, long arms, being able to get full, better extension when you're reaching back and trying to get the leverage on the disc. Um, so to answer your questions, yeah, there, there is um, a certain builds that are better off uh, and, and set you up to throw further. Um, don't, like I said, don't get me wrong, there's, there's shorter players on tour that harness a lot of energy and throw really far as well. But, um, but it's just like a lot of sports. That, you know, they may have to work harder. They have to you know, fight a little harder to, to gain that same distance that maybe someone of my height or even taller than me would. So what, what separates a pro like you from somebody who's just really good? Like, are you throwing it farther? Are you more accurate? Can you, like, curve it around a building? Like, what, what's, what makes you a pro? I think it's my training. I think that, you know, I, I take it serious. I'm, you know, I work out a lot. I do a lot of resistance bands, stretching, um, eating healthy, stay, stability, mobility drills with, with my workouts. I'm doing a lot of that. And so... And then when it comes to physically on the course, uh, it's it's a lot of, yeah, I can make the shots when I need to. I, um, I've, been, I've, I've been on tour for now 10, 11 years, so I'm, I've got a lot of experience. And so it all pays off. And it's just, it's just like any sport. You want to be able to make that putt or make that long shot down the stretch of a tournament to win that tournament. And so the people that can handle the pressure and handle adversity are going to separate themselves within the sport. Um being from a good to you know a top one percent in your sport, me being the best player in the world, yeah, there's certain things and certain shots that I've that I'm better at on a higher percentage. It's just like any sport, higher percentage. If if I have let's say just for disc golf, we use feet, so like a 30 foot putt, and say the 20th place guy in the world, yeah, we both may make that putt, but I may make it at 95 percent, he may make it at 87 percent, and so that percentage is going to come into play eventually. And, and that's where that small, minute difference makes a big difference. Say that, that, last, that last putt may be for the win on the last hole of a tournament, and that's why I'm number one, and that's why maybe some other people are not. It's all about, it's all about percentages and how, how, are we, how you get the highest percentages in each category, putting, driving, approach game. So I hope this question doesn't come off as like a jerk question, but did, did people ever – kind of try to discourage you or other pros, right? Like I, I'm imagining the scene in the movie where the dad is like, Ricky, you can't, you, what's he doing with his life? He's professional golfer, right? Like did people ever kind of do that to you? People definitely uh, tried to say, hey, you can't make, can't make this a career. You can't do that. You can't, you know, and, and it just goes back to like, um, even my, and my parents actually did it because my parents wanted, obviously they want to look out for the best for their kid. And I was playing a lot of baseball, and I was I was very good at baseball, and I felt like I could have went to college potentially, and uh, but they but I decided to go on tour, disc golf tour instead, and so there was people that my parents were the number one, obviously at 16, 17 years old. I wanted to call them and and tell them about my life, but they weren't really interested because they wanted me to go the conventional path, and at the time, disc golf wasn't really what it is now. There wasn't really much of a career path there, and. Um, and so for me, it was different than most other people because nowadays, I think there's there's career paths for for young kids and players coming up way more than it used to be. But yeah, for me, I definitely it was uh, yeah I, I had to fight through you know people telling me no you can't do that and you know and then you start doubting like hey maybe I you know maybe this disc golf thing isn't you know isn't for me or it's not gonna make me any money or it's not gonna give me what I want. But you know I get to travel I got to travel the world I got to see so many new places, new courses that um, it wasn't just all about the money either at the time.
This is something that kind of fascinates me, right? Because we've talked to people who have a kind of a similar story in the sense that like, how do you stick with something when everybody else is like, you're wrong, but you know you're right? Like, how do you stick with that? Yeah, that's that's a hard question because it's like, you know, it's, I did, you know, at the time you don't really, you know, you have to, it's basically, it comes to a point where it's all mental. Uh, it's all, hey, this person's telling me one thing. I know something else. So what's gonna what's gonna what's gonna win? Is am I gonna let someone else win that's telling me, hey, you can't do this, or am I gonna be mentally strong and say, hey, no, I'm going to do this? Um, so for me, it was the mental fortitude to fight through that and say, hey, like the sport can grow. I'm gonna grow as a player, as an athlete. Um, I can get better. Um, and and at the time, it was like you had to be like, you know, top one or two in the world to really make any money. Now it's like the top 50 or 100 can really make money in the world. And so so for me, it was like very far-fetched to say, hey, I'm going to be the number one player in the world at one point and make money, make a brand, and really um, have a following enough to where I can make a living out of it. And so it just turned into a, a, a battle with myself to, to fight off what people are telling me. And as a young kid, that's hard because you, you get easily influenced by other people. And, um, and you know they're just looking out for your best interest. So you're like, all right, if these – older, more experienced people are telling me this, that could be true. So you had to just completely, even though you know it was kind of true, you had to just kind of kind of avoid it and not really think about it and just focus on yourself and focus on what you can control and not what other people are saying. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah. Do you have a general strategy when approaching a course? I will, I normally play, if, it, if it's a tournament event, uh, a pro tour event, I will show up about three or four days ahead of time scope out the course, play three or four rounds, take mental notes on each hole, how my, how my disc reacts in certain holes, uh, how it skips off the ground, how, how the wind's affecting it on that hole. So there's so many dynamics within each hole and each course that I'm dialing in mentally. So that way when I play the tournament, I, I have, I have uh, mental notes saying, hey, this hole does this, this hole, you know, discs roll off of this hill and generally trickle to the right, or there's water on the left that discs like to skip into naturally. And so there's just all these different uh, variables that I'm thinking of to, to make my shot perf as best as I can. Do you get mad if somebody says frisbee golf instead of disc golf? No, I, I don't get mad. I think it's just, you know, newer players or newer people in the sport, they just, they think it's, they see a Frisbee and they see we're playing golf and it's pretty easy to say, hey, you're, you, it's Frisbee golf. Um, but everybody in our in the sport, like professional and everybody, anybody that's been around it just calls it disc golf. But I think it's just, all it is is, you know, you can tell if someone's a newbie or newer player or or a more seasoned veteran or someone that's been around the game, they, you know, that, that's how you can kind of decipher the two. But it's not really like, hey, we judge the people that call it disc golf it's not, or frisbee golf. It's not like that. It's just it's just another way to call it, and it doesn't. We don't really take offense to it. Some some people do, but me, I, I'm, I'm I don't really I don't take offense to that. What, like, what's the difference between the frisbee and the disc, right? Because I've tried the sport before, and I can throw a frisbee, but I tried to throw that thing, and I'm like, what the fuck? So a frisbee is like what you think of like a beach frisbee. It's real like real thick. It's real big big in the hand. And then so I would say like it's thick like that. I would say like that thick versus a disc golf yeah, disc yeah, is like, like real thin. Too. Yeah. It's real thin and, and, and it has it's really aerodynamic. So that's the difference between a frisbee and a, and a disc is the aerodynamics, how far it goes. So a regular disc golf disc can go way further if you throw it right than, a, than an actual like beach frisbee or an ultimate frisbee or whatever 
um, something with a real thicker lip and not quite as aerodynamic. So that could be that's a big difference between frisbee golf and disc golf potentially, if you really want to get you know nerdy with it. <laughs> Is do you throw it differently? Um, no, you so you throw it similarly, but the motion's the same. But there's little intricacies like how you release your wrist on certain shots based on how the frisbee flies. So in disc golf, you basically your your wrist and your arm is is the is where the disc is going to go. So just think of it like a club. If you if you finish with your club face open, your ball is going to go right. So I finish with my wrist down and my arm like this. My frisbee is going to go left, just based on the gravity and aerodynamics of how a disc flies. So essentially, your arm and your wrist control where the disc goes, and and that's the most important thing in a throw. When you look at like an amateur, what are you seeing that like ooh, you're doing this? So the biggest flaws when I see newer players is they like to throw it like right up and straight up in the air. And it's just like lifting your shoulders up one way or another instead of trying to keep a good posture and rotating. Um, that's the most important thing. And, and almost, and, and almost the, what I like to tell people is it's like if you want to throw straight, which is the, the, the most important shot when you're first learning, is you got to feel like you're sliding your arm across a table, tabletop, to keep that nice flat plane coming through. Yeah. So, so if, if you if you deviate from that, if you go too low or too high, you're you're not going to be on that tabletop. So if you can slide across that tabletop all the way through your shot, all the way through your throw, then you're going to have a nice flat shot. And so in general, that's a great tip to, for beginners to start and learn how to practice the throw straight. Favorite course, course that just has your number. So my my favorite course is probably in Vermont. So Vermont, they have a. A ski resort, Smuggler's Notch Resort, it's in Vermont, it's a well-known ski resort. And then in the summer, they turn into like a world-class disc golf course. And we have big events, we've had the world championships out there, we have big events every year. So it's an amazing property, um, and it's one of the most well-known on the tour. And then, of course, that has my number, let's see here. Um, there's, there's a course in... Um, and so in Europe, there's a European Open. It's in Finland. That course is it always seems to challenge me a lot. I, it's a it's a course that has just a lot of OB, a lot of out of bounds, and um, I just some, for some reason don't play very well there. And uh, it's in uh, um, it's in Finland. It's in uh, Tampere, Finland. So there's always a, a big disc golf major there, and uh, it's the European Open, and that's uh, that's one of the obvious biggest tournaments in Europe. Is there like a mecca for disc golf, right? Like you think of snowboarding, you're thinking of like Park City or something. Yeah, I would say Charlotte, North Carolina. So Charlotte's got uh, per capita one of some of the most courses and the most pros are there because of the best courses. Um, but yeah, if you're in the, say, the downtown area of, uh, of Charlotte and you drive like, let's say, 30 or 40 minutes in a circle any direction, you can hit um, probably like a couple hundred courses. What's in your bag right now? So Dynamic Discs, that's my sponsor right here. They're a disc golf manufacturer, and um, and so I throw a lot of their discs and and um, Latitude, and so they Latitude Discs and also Westside Discs. So those are the three companies I throw right now. First thing, man, correct me on the numbers, right? Four million, four years. Ooh. First thing you bought? <laughs> um, actually, first thing I bought was crypto. Yeah, that that is a mo- that is a modern purchase, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, I just I I've just always been a believer, and I wanted to invest invest in something, and I felt comfortable with that, and I you know I, I'm a firm believer in it. So yeah, I wanted to invest in that, and that yeah, I wanted to 
to make a good investment, I think that will pay off in the next five to 10 years. Now, is it okay? So you're a professional. You can obviously do this full time right now, right? Can you though retire? Like when I'm done, this is, I'm done. Like you're set financially for the next, the rest of your life. Or do you make a pretty good amount and then you got to go get a job at what, you know, Goldman Sachs or whatever? So, so yeah, the, the, for me and the, and my, where I'm at in my career, the disc golf, you can, the disc golf career, I would say is much like an, I would say an, an NBA or, or a baseball player. It's like 37 to 40. It was a, usually depending on how you take care of your body and injuries, all that. Um, but yeah, and then after after you retire, uh, for me it'd be getting into like course design, so using my brand, my name, and everything, and uh, and going to city parks and saying, hey, I'm a world champion, I can design a, a part uh, disc golf course for your city, um, and so I have a brand and I have uh, you know a following that that would be totally worthwhile and people would want that and it would be a big draw, and so that stuff you can get into even after your playing days is. Um, Working with a manufacturer to be a, a team manager for all the top professional players of that team, doing course design. So there's lots of different opportunities that once you build your brand, you can kind of parlay your playing career into um, your business career after that. I'm going to ask this question exactly as it has been written so that it doesn't sound like I'm asking it. Does being a disc golfer help you or hurt you when looking for love at the bar? <laughs> That's a funny one. Um, so I guess I'm not. I don't. I'm, I guess I don't go to the bar for that. Um, but if I did, I think it would be a lot more beneficial lately now that the sport's grown a lot because more people have heard about it. If you you know say if you went to the bar four or five years ago and said, "Hey, I'm a professional disc golfer," they'd be like, "What's that?" And then you got to like explain to them what disc golf is, and it kind of kind of ruins the moment. You know, like if you have to explain what you are a professional of. It's like. Okay, well, that's that's not you kind of killed the vibe there. But <laughs> if you're like, oh, I'm a professional disc golfer, and they've heard about it, they're like, oh, that's cool, you know, and kind of impresses them. Um, so yeah, that's the difference between four or five years ago and now. Is there's a little bit more benefit, I think, <laughs> now that people more people know about it. Residual benefits, man, you can't go wrong with that. Um, that's pretty much all the questions we got. Is like, what's kind of coming up next for you? I know the tour's getting started soon. Yeah, so I'll kind of share a little bit of my schedule. So yeah, I'm, I'm heading to Las Vegas. So the the Las Vegas Challenge is the first tournament of the year. So we have a professional tour of like twenty to twenty five events. Um, they go all anywhere from from Vegas to Texas to Vermont to Portland, Oregon to all the way to Europe. We have events in Norway. We have events in Finland. Um, so there's a huge presence in um, in Finland and disc golf in Finland is probably is is they did a study on it or stat and it's the second most popular sport in Finland uh, behind hockey. So it's hockey and then disc golf. Um, so that's how much uh, it's grown in other countries, and uh, I definitely who knows in, in in the states, but maybe five years down the road, disc golf. I definitely see college sports, you know, getting into sponsorships or scholarships. I should say. Um, so I don't think that's too far away. Um, but yeah, so I'm going. I'm going to be going on the tour, and uh, you know, every week is a, is a grind. You know, traveling every week, going to a new city, uh, playing playing new courses. It's a great. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress and a lot of driving um as well so we're doing a lot of that doing a lot of uh signings disc signings at local shops and, and different things like that um but yeah and if you guys if your following wants to get a uh get a hold of my schedule you can check me out on instagram on sake bomb 13 or twitter that's uh sake bomb 13 as well so um that's kind of where i keep up to, up to date on my tour what i'm doing and uh 
you can uh, get yourself involved in the disc golf world. I want to thank Ricky so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Have you ever unpacked at a hotel, like took your stuff out of your bag and put it in the dresser stuff that they give you? My first immediate reaction is to say no to this. But then when I think a little bit on it, uh, the answer is yes. Because when I first moved to Orlando, I uh, I stayed in an extended stay, which are great places, by the way. Uh, and I, I stayed there for maybe three to four months. You stayed in an extended stay for three to four oh, it months. Was, it was, yeah, it was not a good. There was a lot of alcohol because there was like an Applebee's right near me. There was a bar across the street. Wait, did you? Which one did you? Which one? If you were gonna have a night out, like, did you go to the Applebee's first or did you go to the bar first? <laughs> that's a great. I mean, to be honest, that's kind of a great question. It, it depended on the mood I was in. Like, if I was going to watch sports or something, uh, I usually went to the bar. If I was gonna eat first, uh, I would usually go to Applebee's. And then and then go to the bar. Either way, I usually ended at the bar one way or the other. Have you ever had like gone to a place frequently enough that they knew your name? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, you are much more friendly and likable than I am. I don't think I've ever gone to a place where somebody knew my name when I walked in. But how many days would you have to stay at a hotel before you would unpack? And put your stuff in the dresser. Yeah, so if it wasn't like an extended stay situation, probably uh, probably five days, I'd say. Probably on the fifth day, I'd start to get antsy and, and probably put my stuff away. I would say five days is correct. It would have to be five full days. Like, I would have to be there five days, but six <laughs> nights. Do you think that the world will come to an end in your lifetime? <laughs> Like, could you see, could you, do you ever think that you will be involved in some kind of dystopian future? Like that that will happen in your lifetime. Do you feel like that? I mean, no, I don't think so. However, I want to say yes, just obviously without going into detail, we know the current state of affairs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say no, I don't, I don't think I'll see the quote unquote end of the world or, you know, uh, you know, like a walking dead type situation or anything like that in my lifetime. I, I don't, I don't think that's, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but honestly I could go 50, 50. Like if I would not be surprised if we end up in some kind of dystopian future in my lifetime, like I wouldn't, I don't think that it would, but I wouldn't be shocked if we were, but you know what? I don't think it will be anything that we really see coming. Like it's just going to be something that happens all of a sudden. So you don't think it's going to be like a slow burn. You think it's going to be more of just a, uh, I don't know, whatever, one event. And then the next day we're in a dystopian world. I don't know about next day, but I think it will be something that happens much faster than we anticipated. Like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in, like, a, the period of a year or something like that. I think there's going to be some rough times uh, that may seem that way. But, no, I don't think we'll ever get to that point to where the entire world. I'm 50-50. <laughs> and you're usually, you're really, usually yeah. like, the realist, like, pessimistic kind of kind of guy. Uh, so for you to say 50-50 makes me wonder if I should just say yes at this point. 
Yeah, I'm usually pretty optimistic about stuff like this. We're like, no, it'll all get worked out. But that's why I think that it won't be something that we really see coming. It's just going to be like, boom, your life just completely changes one day. Which is which is why I bought four days worth of cream corn the other day just to be stocked up and ready, because that's gonna help. Cream corn, like the canned cream corn? No, dude, I just got a bag of cream corn, and I'm just gonna be carrying around with me. Yeah, can't. What other? All right, uh, let's give some shout outs. Some shout outs. We are now on week seven. We are now on week seven of John talking directly into the microphone that we got for him. Uh, he still finds it to be entertaining, but we're seven weeks. I honestly point. apologize to everyone out there, but I, I feel like you all like it. So anyways, all right. Uh, no, nobody likes it because it becomes, it's really it's loud. loud. Like, you know how a microphone works, right? Like if you suddenly yell into it, that, that sound is transitioned to other people. Well, and so they're suddenly like, ah, Why can't you, like, it's a microphone, dude. We're in 2022. It's not that great of an invention, right? Like, you should not be as impressed by a microphone as you are. And now that we're on this, let's talk about the subject of your clapping. All right? Will you clap one time for us? Because I want people to know that John has a distinctly unmanly it's clap. It's true. All right. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Now listen to my clap for, for perspective. How does that make you feel knowing that you have an unmanly clap? I didn't even know it until we, you know, we do this before uh, most of the episodes. Uh, and I, I had no idea. But I, the reason is you use a lot more palm than I do. I don't, I, even if I try, I try to hit my palm, I don't. And it just sounds all awkward like this. You clap with the top of your fingers when you got a palm clap a little bit more. It's a solid question. I I, I want everyone out there that's listening to clap, and I, I'm curious to know if you're a uh, palm clapper or a whatever else clapper. God, that was bad. That was... It's your, your clap is so... Feminine? Unmanly. Hey, here's a, here's a, here's a follow-up question. When's the last time you clapped for something or somebody? I'm not a public clapper. Yeah, I, I, I didn't clap. I don't clap, really, as you can tell, for many reasons. Do you want to do your candle of the month first, or do you want to do your shout-outs? Oh, man, first I forgot that it is going to be the first episode in, in March. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to take – I want to I I put a lot of effort into the candle. So let, let's do it next episode. I apologize, but it will give people a reason to come back. Okay, slow burn on the candle Ooh. of the month. Nailed it. Like All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see here. Carl Harris, uh, Carlton Bacon. Sure, that's not a real name, but it's pretty awesome. Uh, Andre Medina, Kaplan Terahi, Carlos Martin, Daniel Tull, kind of rhymes with Shoal, uh, Matt Sinquini, Matt Strobel, Soul Daddy Sammy, his handle is Hot Dog Meme, so I, I put him on there strictly because he had hot dog in his handle. And then uh, Tyler I, you all get the uh, the shout outs of the week. Congratulations! All right, let's see here. Uh, would you rather be sixteen years old for your entire life, or sixty seven for your entire life? Both of those are like 
equally bad. Exactly. I think I would probably have to go with 16. You could participate in everything that life has to offer as a 16-year-old, but you can't necessarily do it as a 67-year-old. I look when I wrote the question down, I, I picked those two years because I, I thought they'd be difficult years. I'm glad you said they were. Uh, I feel like 67, you're right on the cusp of like not being too old, but like you're still pretty old. Given there. the physical aspects of those two ages, I'm just going to say 16. Based solely along the physical aspects of it, not necessarily your station in life, because I would rather have the station in life of somebody who's 67 years old but not the physicality of somebody who's 67 years old. Now, if you went like 16 or 45, 45, that's an easy choice. Yeah, 100%. Right? You've got to be getting up into the 60s before it even becomes like, oh, I don't know about that. Because even if you said, would you rather be 55 or 16? 55. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'd probably agree with you. But imagine imagine being 16 your whole life and always talking to 16-year-olds. That would be <laughs> oh, that would be awful. Yeah, but even if you're 67, you're going to be talking to 67 and older folks forever, which is probably just as bad. You could talk down in age better than you could talk up in age. Like a 16 year old has nothing to say to anybody over the age of 20. Of 20, <laughs> like what are you even going to talk to them about? <laughs> right. Oh man. Right. I don't think. Like a 67-year-old, you could at least relive your life by talking to a 20-year-old. But if you're 16, what do you even have? Who can you even talk to? I mean, I, th- I think for most of us, we don't realize how young 16 is till you get to be older like us old fucks. I mean, 16 you really is pretty young. This is just a weird one just because, I don't know, I had this conversation with someone not too long ago. Um, you have to sleep on one of these for the rest of your days. A bunk bed. A shitty mattress that is under $200. So if anyone's bought a mattress, you know that's a real bad mattress. Or a waterbed. Oh, bunk bed. Because <laughs> at the very least, you could be like, that's at least cool. Like, you could have a comfortable bunk bed. But a $200 mattress or a waterbed, that's not a good look, <laughs> right? Like, you're not in, you're not inviting somebody of the, the, a love interest over and be like, hey, check out this waterbed. I mean, back in the day, it probably worked. I mean, Mama and Papa Scholl had a waterbed till I was a teenager, I think. So, I've never been on a waterbed. Now, I had an air mattress until I was 30. <laughs> okay. But it was a nice air mattress. It was like a queen-size air mattress. And the reason is, is because there was something with the warranty that I essentially bought it when I was 18 and just kept going back every three years to get a new one and they just kept like i would just i don't know what kind i don't know who had this policy at bed bath and beyond but they must have lost millions of dollars because you could just go back and say hey this thing's deflated and i basically kept returning it for 12 years (laughs) every two years every two years i took the thing back and got another one for free and they were like oh just go grab one and walk out okay no questions asked wow okay i wonder if that i wonder if that policy still still is enacted I hope not for the sake of their stockholders <laughs> because I probably racked up. I'm not kidding you. Maybe two to three thousand dollars worth of free air mattresses. <laughs> I swear to you, I went through like eight of them yeah. and paid for one and just kept returning them every two years. And they're like, OK, well, it's under the warranty. I wanted to make like some sex jokes and things about those, but I'm just I'm just going to hold them. 
I mean, if I had more skill, it probably, right? It probably didn't match up, but I'm not, I don't need the best skis in the world. I'm not going down the, the toughest mountain, right? So what I was doing, it worked out perfectly well for that. What have you, what's a waterbed like? I've never slept on one. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's what you imagine. I mean, it's, it, it's really the, the secret I, I found to a waterbed. I had a waterbed till I was a, till I was a teen. Um, and then me and oh so it was, water beds ran in the Shoal yeah. family that was a that was a they believed and then the actually this kind of goes with their top five uh but my my waterbed days were ruined when a, a friend and I decided to set up a dartboard against my bed mm. and uh of course these were metal tipped darts and uh, we missed significantly and uh, multiple holes were put in the waterbed I don't understand why you would ever get a child a waterbed. <laughs> Can you imagine being in the meeting at like mattress firm and like, what should we do for a new venture? You know what? Oh. Let's fill these things with water. Send them out there. Oh wow! Uh, the modern waterbed was created by Charles Pryor Hall in 1968 while Hall was a design student at San Francisco State University. How did that idea get off the ground, though? Well... Right? Like, how did he convince people that a waterbed was a good idea? As of last year, water waterbeds accounted for less than deal. 2% of new bed sales. So they've they've gone downhill pretty quick. Let, let's just go on to our top five here today. All right, so our top five is uh, top five funnest things to throw. Uh, my number five is water balloons. Oh, Okay. I I thought about water balloons, but the the pain in the ass of filling them up is really what ruins water balloons for me. It's just like they're fun, but the return on investment is not there for me with a water balloon. It's just too much work involved in making it and throwing it, and then you got to go buy it. And at no point in my life would I ever be like, you know what? Let's have a water balloon fight. I'm going to go to the store. Like if somebody already had them, I could see myself engaging in a water balloon fight. But I'm not going to go buy balloons to do that. First off, the fact that you used return uh, of investment and water balloon in the same sentence. You you win today, sir. Congratulations. It's ROI. Uh, my number five is a boomerang. I, have, I, I assume you've thrown one? I have thrown one. It's really fun to throw. But then you realize that this is a hard piece of wood and or plastic that you have thrown that is now coming back at you as fast as you've thrown it. And it's like, holy shit, get out of the way. This thing's fucking coming back. I always wonder, like, I, like, I, I don't know the physics of a boomerang. So I don't know what, like, no but I mean, how, how do they come back to you? Are you like the rotation of it? I mean, the wind? There is a special way that you throw it. So my sister did something in Australia, brought me a boomerang, which is exactly what the gift you're supposed to get a teenage child is a boomerang. And I just remember that there's some, you have to throw it at like a certain angle with your hand and then it will come back around to you. But this is like a, imagine like taking a good hard stick, chucking it as hard as you can and then seeing this stick come right back towards you. Yeah, that's a... And it doesn't come right back towards you. It comes like back in your general area. That Yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. It's not fun. You're like, holy crap, how am I going to catch this thing? <laughs> or just get out of the way. So uh, basically imagine someone throwing a baseball at you and you don't have a mitt. Like, do you really want to catch that? Not really. 
Uh, so actually, I, I have uh, children as my number four kids. Do you think that's okay to have children? To, to throw them. It's fun. It's Throwing fun to them throw around. them around, man. It's fun to toss them around, really you know, throw them. Throw them on a trampoline or throw them into a ball pit. It's fun. It's it's you know, or, or it doesn't have to be just kids. It can be adults. It can be anything. Throw people. I don't care. I do like pushing people yeah. in the pool. I've <laughs> always liked did, that. Man. You were that guy. Yeah. Well, you can't really do it anymore because of phones. Like now, it's oh, like oh. yeah. I. Yeah, you can't really do it. Anymore. See, we're we're older, so I I don't think like I'm smart enough. I'm not gonna if I'm near the edge of the pool. I'm not having my phone anywhere near me just for that, just for the chance. Even if it's somebody I don't know, like I, I'm just not taking that chance. You're that worried about being pushed in a pool that you won't even keep your phone around you. You know, you got to be careful around pools. I, like I, I understand that you got to be a little careful, but I think you're a little overly paranoid about being. Well, pushed I also in a pool. wear, you know, a complete set of clothes to the pool too, just in case. Well, that is true. Uh, my number four is fireworks, specifically. I'm okay with black cats. Like, they're pretty fun to fl- to throw. But I'm specifically thinking of those, like, little poppers that you throw, and as soon as they hit the ground, they blow up. Like, those are pretty fun to throw. Yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't mess with fireworks, so I'll, I'll, let, I'll let, you, let you stay with that. Okay. All right. Way to bring it down. Uh, what's your number three? Uh, I have food. Oh. And, um, I mean, if I had to pick, like, a specific uh, – time or, or or event to throw food i'd probably say like drunk like drunk throwing food's pretty awesome but i don't think that i've ever been in a food fight i yeah i don't know if i've actually ever been in a food fight but i i've been with you on many occasions where food has been thrown off of balconies and things like that so for you to say you've never thrown food is a is a falsity I've never thrown food at somebody. <laughs> Except for those poor bastards who were just trying to get their cars. Frisbee. Frisbees are pretty fun to throw. It's always fun to throw a Frisbee. The ROI on a Frisbee throw, for me, is is just not worth it. There's more satisfaction about being able to throw a Frisbee to somebody than there is any other kind of popular throwing object. Like, you throw a football to somebody, you're like, all right, that's not that big of a deal. Throw a baseball, not that big of a deal. But if you can throw a Frisbee to somebody, there's a certain amount of like, oh, I got it to them. Mm. And that's where I would say that a Frisbee has a very high return on investment in terms of, like, your ability to throw it and if you can get it to them. Like, you're excited you just got it to them, which is why a Frisbee is fun. Because every time you're like, oh, I got it there. Yeah, I'm, nah, I'm, I'm good. Uh, my number two. No, my number two, I, I just have sharp objects. Um, oh, that's I mean, what I have. Knives is my yeah, number knife, two. Uh, yeah, I like throwing Throw knives. I've thrown axes before. That's kind of a crazy, weird feeling, throwing an axe over your head. Um, yeah, so just, cool. just sharp objects. Um, so my number one, I, I think it has to be unanimous. Uh, it's just some kind of, of ball, whether it's a football, baseball, uh, I mean, it's the best, you know, dodgeball, any kind of ball, football. My number one is along those lines, but it's the funnest possible thing to throw, which is a snowball. Mm, no, snowballs. I agree. Snowballs are good. And I have snowballs actually, uh, on my honorable mention, but it, uh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Keeping it. How can you not like throwing a snowball? I, I like it. It's fine. I just, it's not top five worthy for me. What's not great about it? Well, you need the right kind of snow, uh, which you might get two or three times a year. You do need the right. Kind. Uh, and then, <sighs> the if you're not a good packer, it, but it's fun. It, right? Like 
a lot of times, like, I'm not good with gloves on, so I have to take my gloves off to pack it properly. So then my fingers start to get fucking cold. And then by the time you actually throw it, it's, you know, three minutes later, it's snow started to come off it. It's a love-hate relationship with me and snowballs. It, it, it really is. Why do you have that difficult of a time making a snowball? Because you gotta you gotta pack it's you gotta very pack simple. it tightly, you gotta pack it right, it has to be the right size. It takes me like two seconds to do well, it. Well you're you know. What are you doing that you can't make a snowball that quickly? It's not that it's not that I can't make a snowball, it's just you gotta take off your gloves and then you gotta pack it. But why do you have to take your gloves off? Because I can't I, I I wanna pack it properly. I can't do that with, with the with the gloves that I have. What kind of gloves do you have? This is I don't understand this. I really don't understand how you cannot make a snowball properly. Well, I, I do make it properly. Why would that That's take... why it takes me a while. But why do you have to take your gloves off to make it? Because I, I <laughs> it's not gonna. I'm not gonna explain it right. I like to be able to have full control over my fingers in making the snowball, and I can't do that when my fingers are in gloves. But you really, it's almost better to make it with mittens on. That's really the best okay, way to make off, it. Because you want to have that all together. Like, if you're spacing it out with individual fingers, then you're crushing through the snowball, right? Like, you need to have a certain, like, you need, like, a paddle kind of. The hand needs to be one consistent unit. If you spread it out, you're not making a good snowball. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not as awkward as I'm making it seem. It, it's not as bad. And it's not, it's not as, um, I don't know, difficult either as I'm making it seem. Okay. All right. I mean, I just don't. Snowball to me is a solid number one. It's the funnest thing. Nobody's ever having a bad time in a snowball fight or when throwing a snowball. And you can throw a snowball at anybody because nobody's going to get really that mad at you. Unless you can, like, hit them right in the face and they're not expecting it. And then Right in the face. They might get a little upset. I mean, to <laughs> yeah. be honest, that that's the oh. only uh, honorable mention I, I have, really, was just uh, snowballs. Oh, I've got a number of things. Um, my wife suggested throwing shade, like throwing shade at people. I don't think people oh. use that terminology very much anymore, but like throwing some shade. That's a good I one. Like that. That's yeah. fun to throw. Bo- uh, bowling balls. Okay. I mean, I mean, that could, that could be in my number one, a different kind of ball. Anything breakable. Mm. That's always yeah, that's fun to throw. Yeah, that's good. Red turtle shells in Mario Kart. <laughs> If you have the same name as somebody, are you going to point it out to them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I grew up, I have the same name as my father, the exact same name. So I've, I'm quite used to it, actually. Yeah, I'm not that, I've never been that kind of person. Well, I mean. If I have the same name or the same, now, if I have the same car as somebody, I'm going to say like, ooh, nice car. As I get into my same car. And I'm going to give them that stupid look that people give you when they have the same thing that you do. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. And let us know what you think are some of the funnest things to throw. I can't believe he doesn't. Like, what's wrong with throwing a snowball? What's the guy have a... Like, clearly something has happened to him in a snowball fight. And there's also some residual emotional damage that he has from being pushed in a pool. He's a little bit too afraid of being pushed in a pool, if you ask me. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.